Howdy there, folks, and welcome to The Random Men, where two experts and nothing talk about everything. Today's pretty cut and dry. It's a second part to an episode we had previously done where we looked at everyday items and asked, why is that like that? A few things have come to mind since that episode that we thought it was worth revisiting, and that's exactly what we're going to do today. So, pretty simple. And without further ado, get ready, because today, two random men are to discuss part two of Why Is That Like That? So first off, I want to start by saying thanks for helping me hang those mirrors at the studio the other day. Yeah, no problem, man. <laughs> they look really good, and it's coming along great, man. It, it looks really good for the kids. We're I very proud of it. I don't think anybody should ever try to hang mirrors by themselves, unless you're doing like a little personal mirror that you just you know, hang on the back of the closet door or something like that. If you're doing like a big mirror, nobody should try to do that by themselves. <laughs> That's yeah. just asking for bad luck. We're talking like <laughs> six foot by seven, eight foot mirrors. So, uh, the the extra hands were greatly appreciated. Hey, no problem, man. No problem. And what brought us back around to this was when we were putting the uh, outlet covers back on. Mm-hmm. Remember when I said to you I was I was uh, screwing it into the wall, bolting it into the wall. You're taking the cover of the outlet. Yeah, it back just regular on. power outlet. Yeah. And I'm like, why the hell is this bolt a flathead? When that's the one driver that can slide <laughs> right into the damn socket. <laughs> what they tell you, <laughs> you know, from like, when you very first start, you know, comprehending. When you're a toddler? Yeah. Like when you very first start comprehending things that I shouldn't do. It's like, don't touch hot things and don't put something in the socket. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm sitting there screwing it in with a flathead screwdriver, which why do we even still have slotted screws? I, I have no idea. Mm, I mean, there's well, got to be a point to it. When I was looking it up, because I did go home. Really, the the only answers I could find was that they're cheap, mm-hmm. and that it prevents over tightening. Mm. And that was after looking for a while. Well, I mean, I, I, there, there's sense. a reason. Yeah, there's a reason they've been around forever, and that we still sell them at hardware stores, and they sell you know, I'm, I'm gonna I guess a billion a year, <laughs> something <laughs> it's like gotta that. Got to be more yeah. than a billion screws a year. So I mean, yeah. So I. One it is trillion. What it is, but yeah, it was definitely when you said that to me, I was like, man, you know what? Yeah, I just held you're up the right. flathead and I was like, look at this. And look at this. <laughs> you know, and you're like, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And uh, so then after, yeah, after, after we were talking about it and everything, I got to really thinking about it. I was like, man, we did an episode that was all about why things are the way they are as far as like. General objects that, you know, we see most, most times stuff that we see like every day Mm -hmm. uh, and we deal with. And I was like, you know, just for shits and giggles, I'm going to go back and look at all the stuff. Cause we can, we can go back and look at, this is no behind the scenes. We're not pulling the curtain back from Oz here, but we can go back and look at some of the stats on some of our episodes and stuff Mm -hmm. like that and kind of see what's going on. So I went back to that one episode and that was back in January and it was actually a pretty I, I thought it was a good episode, but it got really well received as far as the plays we got. So I was like, you know, I guess it was an okay one. People seem to really enjoy it, which I know you and me really enjoy listening to those just random little factoids about, <laughs> you know, why is this, that, and this, and maybe, you know, uh, maybe hacks for your normal everyday things and, and things like that. So I was like, you know, I think we could do it part two. Yeah, I mean, that. there's a couple of things that we just 
you see every day and go, why? Why, why is that like what, that? Explain, that explain the reasoning behind that to me. Who said that's we're not, how it needs to be? Yeah, yeah, we're not blowing yeah. the roof off with any of these, but they're just fun little uh, little things we discovered along the way. Yeah, um, there's. I hope ones we bring up, I, I really hope that uh, a lot of them are ones that people don't already know. I'm sure there's probably a couple of them that people are like, oh yeah, I knew that. But still, uh, I think it was worth trying to give it a shot and going, hey, if you don't know this, let's throw some knowledge down on you <laughs> and hope to God we got it right because we just, you know, took the internet's word for it <laughs> as far as the yeah. things that we didn't already know, the ones that we researched and stuff like that. But we try to do our research. Mm-hmm. So anyway. Anything from the internet you got to take with a grain of salt. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, so <laughs> uh, that being said. And I'm sorry that I already ruined with uh, all that wonderful buildup and no de- no delivery on the slot screw. It was really just everybody's like, just because they're cheap. You know what, though? You think about the invention of the screw in itself, mm-hmm. that that was how revolutionary that was. Game changer. So, anyway. So, would you like to start or would you like me to start? I had a pretty good segue, but we totally missed it when I said grain of salt. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, okay. Got to take it with a grain of salt. So, my first question was, why is salt and pepper what's on everybody's table? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why isn't it salt and paprika? Why isn't it cumin and turmeric? I mean, you know, salt and pepper is pretty standard anywhere you go on the table. Okay. That's the first two options you're given without asking mm-hmm. for it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's there regardless of whether there's ketchup or uh, sugar for your drink or anything like that. Like salt and pepper. Yeah. So what I found out. Mm-hmm. Okay, so first off, let's start by saying salt is not a spice, it's a mineral. Yep. It's the only rock that we can consume. Never really thought of it, but okay, yeah. And that might be false. It might just be the most popular rock that we can consume. I'm sure people... <laughs> I don't know. No, I'm sticking with that. It's the only rock we, we eat. <laughs> makes, on, all I'm thinking right now is, what was it? Uh, Never Ending Story 2. Was the rock biter? He's in, no, he's in the first one. He's in the first one. Yeah, first, yeah the rock They look guy. like good, strong hands, don't they? <laughs> yes. And he's eating the rocks. Yeah. Okay. Eating the rocks. Rock biter. Yeah, rock yeah. biter. Okay, there you go. Anyway, moving on. So uh, yeah, <laughs> one of the first we need salt. We need salt to regulate mm-hmm. blood pressure. We need we need it for oh yeah multitude of reasons for health. Yeah. So early man needed salt. Mm-hmm. Where he would get most of that from was the consumption of animals and drinking raw blood. Okay. So that's where you would get primitive man salt. Thankfully, we don't have to do that anymore. Yeah, because we figured out the, you know, just drinking raw blood's not yeah. not the best for you. Yeah. 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 Okay. So let's fast forward to like Rome. We're skipping over a lot of BC, but Rome's where it really started to get super popular. So popular, in fact, that it was used as currency. Doesn't Rome end up being where we get a lot Rome of... usually falls somewhere when we're doing explanation things as the start of a lot of what builds our civilizations. I mean, Rome had fire departments. I'm sure I've talked about that before, but yeah, Rome had fully functioning fire departments. Yeah, waterways. Uh, now, you had to pay for it, or they would just sit there and watch your shit but, burn. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, very, you know, awkward, uh, all that aside. <laughs> anyway, so they used to pay Roman soldiers mm-hmm. with salt. Okay. That's because, I mean, it's used for curing. It's used for just improving meat, which wasn't very, you couldn't keep it very long without curing it. Hey, I think uh, pretty much everybody's, ate something before and be like, eh, it's not that great. Just throw a little salt on it. Eh, yeah. you're right. Be better. Yeah. Eh. I mean, so like when the trade routes started, 
it was mm-hmm. super popular. Mm-hmm. But when Romans were getting paid in it, which is where you get the term earning your salt. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Another fun fact, it was referred to as salarium. Okay. So you're paid in salt, it's called salarium. What does that break down to today? Your salary. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. It's derivative of that word. So that's where we get the term your salary mm-hmm. for getting your pay. It's from Roman soldiers getting paid in salt. Pepper, on the other side of it, is native to India, which I did not know, and became super popular on the trade routes, the Silk Road, leading through the Middle East down into like Northern Africa and such. Okay. Now, why it got so popular, of course, seasoning. It could take spoiled meat and make it edible. Mm -hmm. Doesn't sound very fun today, but I mean, I guess if you're on a trade route. You say that, but no, I mean, I... I actually tend to put pepper on most everything mm-hmm. I eat. I do. Uh, as just an extra little, you know, no, no, don't get me wrong. I will take a bite of something before I add stuff to it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, pepper is kind of yeah. a standard thing. Yeah. I put pepper on my salads. Oh, yeah. Salads, eggs. On your boiled uh, eggs. Uh, yeah, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and was so popular, they referred to it as black gold. It was the first black gold. Before oil, <laughs> oil, well, Earl, however you want to call it. <laughs> uh, yeah, and people would pay pay their rent in pepper. Hmm. Well, there you go. I'm it sure was, at some point uh, somebody, if somebody from the past or somebody from the future were to come here now and go, you pay your, you pay for things with pieces of paper. Yes. <laughs> Parchment? <laughs> yeah. So, hey. How many? How much pepper and salt did you have to carry around, though, to, like, wheel and deal? I don't know, because what, what was it worth? I mean, uh, you gotta think. Yeah, it probably like, changed depending on where you're at. Oh, I'm sure. Of course. Of course. But, yeah. Anyway. But yeah it also had medicinal purposes. Mm-hmm. So, they would use it to uh, reverse hemlock poisoning, which I believe is what killed Socrates. Okay. Uh, it was used as a diarrhea medication. And for just digestive problems in general. Yeah. Here's the one that's going to uh, <laughs> turn the tables here. Turn, turn the tide of the conversation. Uh-oh. They used it on hemorrhoids. Oh. That stopped oh. you mid-drink there. Oh, no, no. Yeah, I was... Ooh. Think about it. <laughs> I was in mid-drink. If you can't hear me, my ice clacking. I was taking a drink, and wow, that just stopped me. They used crushed black pepper... On hemorrhoids. Just burn it out? Just brutal shit, oh, I guess. Oh, jeez. Can you imagine? <laughs> that's what the... No, I don't want that's to imagine. What the, I don't want to imagine that. Oh, That's what uh-huh, the apothecary uh-huh. prescribed for you was, oh, go home, take a handful of cracked black pepper, and you're like, fuck it, I'll just die. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just live oh. in pain. Oh, man. Mm-mm-mm. Hmm. So as to... There's a little backstory on both of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As to why it's popular on dinner tables today, this is traced back to uh, King Louis the Fourteenth, okay. King of France from 1643 to 1715. Did you hear what I said? 1643, King. all the way to 1715. Okay, 72 years. Ooh, ooh, okay. Which yeah. side note again, dropping little fun facts on you during the research here. That's the longest reign of any monarch of a sovereign country in history. Okay, I I believe it. I mean, yeah. Here's why that's important for our topic. Okay. 
he was a notoriously picky eater. And he did not like spices. And the only things mm. he would pretty much allow was salt and pepper on his food. Okay. Now, can you imagine being hmm. the, the chef, the cook for the <laughs> king of France? <laughs> You're supposed to make these lavish meals, and the son of a bitch only lets you use salt and pepper? And you still got to make it good shit? And you have to make... Oh. You can't serve him the same damn thing two or three times in a day. And he lets... He, salt and pepper, dude. Oh, I mean, yeah, I, I think, I feel like I can cook, you know, fairly simplistic as far as spices go, but got to have more than salt and pepper. I mean, yeah. you are appointed oh, wow. head chef of wow. the king. It's okay. like, you've made it. You've studied for years. You've got all your recipes down. The only caveat here, you can only use salt and pepper on his food. Oh, man. So. Well, but I guess if that's. On the he... roasted pigs, on the chickens, on the beef, on the goats, on the I, salt and pepper. All the years of us, you know, uh, doing stuff, especially uh, the traditional Texas barbecue and smoking and stuff like that. And a lot of times I say, hey, you know, with a, a brisket and stuff like that, sometimes just salt and pepper. Salt and pepper is enough. They let the natural meat flavor come mm-hmm. through. But so, think about everything yeah. else, not even just meats that yeah. they could call for seasonings. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So I mean, soup, it would be difficult. How that... are you supposed to make soup and stew with just salt and pepper? Oh, yeah. I mean, you can. You can, but then are they going to come back to you and be like, I just... you are a terrible cook. <laughs> yeah, like... I just think about the poor cooks that were like, say what now? Oh, okay. Yeah, up to that point, uh, the most popular pairing was salt and sugar. That's what was usually sitting around that you mixed everything with. Hmm. So... Man. I can see that, though, because, I mean, that's, you know, obviously the contrast. Uh, so, eh, okay. But we're also, during his time, was kind of a, a, a renaissance time for French cuisine. Mm-hmm. Think about this. All those chefs had to figure out how to cook using minimal spices. So, they figured out the order to start everything was start salty and sweet. He would handle the sweets better at the end of the meal once he was already kind of satiated and, and the salt makes you hungry. Yeah, Mm-hmm. sweets they would finish off which is where we get desserts from now that's what i was about so to say the desserts so would come at the end of the meal come from it's like oh we start off salty mm-hmm. we end sweet yep french cuisine think about it. you could sit down and eat a bag of beef jerky no problem yeah you'd eat a t-bone steak mm-hmm. imagine eating a piece of cheesecake the size of a t-bone steak oh geez no no Mm-mm. well i'm not huge on sweets anyway but yeah no 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 yeah no, so no. little oh, okay. little tiny things to finish it off yeah cool and so that's where we get a lot of our modern cuisine from is from that time period from the french and the way they designed the meals so not only is it really kind of the the staple of what you need for seasoning and doing whatever but it also kind of helped depict how we eat things the order we eat things mm-hmm so, yeah, okay, now, cool. as for how it ends up on every dinner table in the civilized world, it's because the natural order of things is how they trickle down from monarchs, from kings. Uh, everybody of the lower class wants to adopt that. When we did the episode with fashion, mm-hmm. you know, they're always a little bit behind what high society is doing, but it trickles down. Well, as soon as everybody figured out that the king of France, the longest ruling king, Salt and pepper were the staple on his table. They wanted naturally salt and pepper in their yeah. home to be. Oh, you you know we we tend to 
uh, carry on the fad from whoever had it before mm-hmm. us. Even if it's, especially if it's someone that's like a hierarchy or whatever. So, yeah. 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 Okay. Makes Even sense. if it's something just as simple as you have guests over and it's, oh, you have King Louis style of, of serving. Hmm. Yes, we have salt and pepper, just like the king has. Well, cool. it goes on everything, so it just spread like wildfire, and it eventually kind of took over the world. So that's, yeah, you have King Louis Fourteenth to thank for why we have salt and pepper on the dinner table everywhere, at the restaurants, at your home. Hmm. Pretty interesting fact, right? That's pretty cool. Now, I'm, I'm going to do one more back on that. Um, okay. Of uh, course. Kind of we, don't back go, off of that. we don't have to go back and forth. We can, yeah. It's our show. We can do whatever we want. But only because we were talking about sweets. Okay. Okay. Coming from around the same time. Uh, it's also where we get the introduction of forks being commonplace. Okay. And that's all thanks to, during Renaissance times, sweets becoming commonplace. Yeah. Which were, in the beginning, like uh, sugary, syrupy, dried fruits and things. Oh, messy. Messy. Very Think messy. about the common dress of the time. Ruffled shirts. Oh, yeah. Very, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, beautiful textiles and all mm-hmm. that. You didn't want mm-hmm. to get that messy and everybody ate with their hands. Not to mention, you know, especially for like the women, it would take you all day to get dressed up. So, yeah, heaven so you, forbid, something you want to get syrup dripping all over your dress or your hands, really. Not so much dripping on you, but you would get your hands covered in s- sugar and syrup and then touch your, yeah. Your formal wear. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So they brought forks back into play, which many people had stayed away from. Get this. Because it resembled the devil's pitchfork. Oh, well. Olden times, man. You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you can't. What's the symbology here? Symbology? <laughs> Symbolism? <laughs> oh, wait, no. <laughs> That was from something. Okay, I thought you were being real for a minute. I gave you that look like, dude, this is listen to. Uh, what was that? Uh, what was that movie? The, the, they said that. What's the symbology? It was Boondock Saints. Boondock Saints, yes. Yes, Willem Dafoe. <laughs> Doing that, the one dumb cop is in there. like, well, what's the symbology there? And he's like, symbolism. I think the word you're looking for is symbolism. <laughs> How did we lose Boondock Saints? Oh, there's only so much mind space. That's true. Um, what well, you, what do you got? Uh, sticking with kind of what you were talking about, with especially like sweet and salty and whatever. One of the ones I thought of was why do we put candles on a birthday cake? Doesn't that come from pagan tradition? So, my research has told me that uh, ancient Greeks would bake round uh, honey cakes. And light long candles and place it at the altar of Artemis. And I hope I'm saying that correct. Artemis, you can't was, mess their, up Artemis. was their god of the moon and the hunt. Okay. Okay. Um, Hunter's moon. Mm-hmm. And then the, the cake would represent the moon. But then the candlelight would represent like the shadows and all that kind of stuff. Okay. But then the smoke would come off of it. And that would be the prayers going to the heavens. Ah, symbolism. Which makes you think of a wish. Right? Mm-hmm. Well, that, that tracks, yeah. Well, then also, on top of that, uh, in Germany around the 18th century, they celebrated kids' birthdays uh, with a festival called, uh, I think it's pronounced Kinderfest? 
I hope that's how it's That sounds right. Um, Where they also would serve cake. Now their cake was a little bit different. uh, And it kind of, it evolved into more of the sweet cake that we know now. But back Mm -hmm. then it was more of a bitter, dry, whatever. Cake has always been used for celebration. But that was when you think about that. It's like, okay, so now we're taking a couple of these customs and bringing them together. Oh, they all meld at some point in history. So now all of them run together. Let's put candles on the cake for the kid's birthday to represent your years alive. And they blow out the fire on it and the smoke goes away. And they make a wish. wish. So it kind of makes sense when you put it all together like that. Yeah. Right. So absolutely. Yeah. So apparently that's where it's believed that we get the candles on. the Mm -hmm. Yeah. Candles have been used for wishes and prayers Mm -hmm. long before Mm -hmm. that. Oh yeah. Uh, Many, many uh, cultures have used the whole like idea of the, prayer with the candle the smoke is what carries it you know upward mm-hmm. kind of puts it out yeah. in the ether yeah now here's one that's a little bit different but still kind of in the same vein of uh, food and beverage i guess you'd say um the no neck pint glass and most people when they hear that they're not gonna understand no neck pint glass no nick no nick oh i thought glass. you said no neck no oh. no nick no <laughs> nick no nick it makes sense in a second. So, we have all, well, most of us <laughs> have sat and drank a beer. And we've probably spilt a beer or two, right? So, when you look at a normal pint glass, um, the base of it is a little smaller. As it goes up, it gets a little wider, right? Mm-hmm. Now, in these my, glasses... I say, in my professional opinion, it's, <laughs> it's what I've dealt with mostly. Yeah. So, these glasses are the ones that are like that. And, like I said, they're a pint glass. But they have that kind of, like, bulbous area kind of towards the yeah, top. Yeah, it flares out. Yeah, it kind of flares out a little bit. Now, there is multiple purposes for the glass being shaped like that. I think you can probably, you can probably was, guess the first one. Some like Usually when you pour something like a beer you want it to kind of aerate up and and gather oxygen almost like you would do with a wine correct where you yeah. you want air to hit it to enhance the flavor it yeah, brings I, out all the notes and everything and a lot of times uh when you come to when it comes to pouring a drink especially if something that has any kind of carbonation or aging fermenting anything like that you got to give it a minute to rest to breathe to breathe yep yeah. so yeah this kind of gives it that extra thing but the main purpose behind it was because think about when you've held a glass of something, especially if it's cold, mm-hmm. and it starts, starts to it's condensate. Sweating. Yeah. Yeah, sweat. Slippery? It kind of gets a little slick. So, Real slick, glasses, depending on how many glasses you've held mm-hmm, that night. Yeah. So these glasses you could hold, and even if it did slip just a little bit, you're still going to have that kind of hold on it, because it has that edge on it. Yeah, you, your hand catches where it flares out. Mm-hmm. But some of the other big things were that when it came to stacking the glasses, that if you take a normal pint glass and put it into another normal pint glass, they will actually stick inside of each other. Okay? So it makes it difficult to transport them and definitely difficult when you try to pull one out from the other one. Yeah, the suction has happened. And especially if you have a stack of four, five, six on up. So you get a German beer maid that's transporting however many they do, 205 mm-hmm. glasses at the same yeah, we've time. We've all seen it where, you know, yeah. Well, the Steins, but yeah, yeah. You, I know what you, I, I'm following you. 
And so it made it easier for them to then separate the glasses and transport them, move them around, or whatever. Uh, it would let the air in where it usually would be sucked into the other. Mm-hmm. But then the other part of it, and this is, to me, what I thought was the coolest part was, so when you have any real glass, if it falls over, it's going to hit the top portion of the glass. Which where is, your mouth goes. Which is the most fragile part of the glass. And it's going to hit, it's going to chip, break, you know, whatever. And then, of course, you can't use it if you're going to, you know, serve somebody else. Because, I mean, hey, you got a chip of glass. I can't do that. <laughs> it's got a bunch of bleeding maws in the building. Yeah, no joke. So this, when it would fall over, it would hit the bulb side first, which was just a little bit further into the glass. So it wouldn't break the top part where you were trying to drink from. Oh, that so makes sense. So it save the glass from being broken. The circular bulbous part, mm-hmm. circles are strongest. Well, it just would reinforce the glass where like it hit that and it was kind of hit and roll, you know, so mm-hmm. it wouldn't break the top of As it where you were yeah. trying to drink. So, oh, hell yeah. So the they were called non-nick non-nick. glasses because they wouldn't get nicked. And cut your lips. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they uh, started... They were invented in, in like the very early 1900s, uh, but then in the 1940s is when they really started to rise uh, up in popularity because people were like, oh, dude, I don't have to worry about getting new glasses now because that was the biggest problem was them getting knocked over and getting broken. And now I have to replace it or, you know, have a Samaritan come in there going, you just cut my lip. <laughs> You're a glassware salesman going, let me show you what I've yeah. got here. They're just flicking over glasses on the bar like, look, nothing, nothing, mm-hmm. safe. Yep. It's all good. So, yeah, non-nick glasses. Non-nick uh, uh, pint glasses. Now, can you imagine the, back then they're cleaning the glasses? Well, probably not cleaning the glasses. They're just pouring, 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 and then you well, get somebody yeah. else's glass that's got blood all around the rim. Mm. It's a tougher generation. New, new. <laughs> now, the, the sad part about that is that in the U.S., the standard non-nick glass is supposed to be 16 ounce when U.K. is 20 and fortunately, that's because, you know, we Americans, unfortunately, mm-hmm. have to go the hard route in metric system and shit and whatever. But, you know, hey. I mean, I'm not too proud to say they probably <laughs> outdrink us. Well, and yeah. I know I'm going to catch a lot of hate over that, but it's the mm. same thing when they're like, you and your light beer, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, not all of us. Or, had... or cold beer. Yeah. You and your cold light beer. Yeah. So, anyway. So, those are my. And your 21 year old. <laughs> My two, age restrictions. Uh, based off food and beverage. Oh, real quick. Do you know why they put uh, holes in donuts? No, but I do love me some donut holes. <laughs> so this came from when they used to just have fried pastries. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to do them fast, churn them out. Uh, oftentimes the interior of it would be almost raw and the outside's burnt. So somebody had the genius idea to let's just punch a hole in the middle. Evenly cooks it. Makes sense. Yeah. I mean... Anything you bake. Yeah. The middle of it's the part you have to worry about. Whether it be a cake, a pancake, a, I mean, uh, anything you think of. Hot yeah. pocket. <laughs> Notorious for having an icy cold middle and a burnt That's outside. true. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Yeah. So pretty simple. Huh. Uh, that, um, just a quick little tidbit there, but yeah. Hmm. I just knew that. I'd read that somewhere. All right. Nice. Um, uh, next. Real, real quick before you start, uh, you were just talking about like the 1940s. Mm-hmm. Go a couple of years uh, before that, World War One. Mm-hmm. Kleenex. Okay. Do you know where Kleenex comes from? 
they were originally created as replacement filters for gas masks in a pinch. Really? Mm-hmm. In World War One. Okay. And then it just caught on to be a tissue paper after that. Well, okay. I mean, so, yeah, that, that's originally what they're, they were created for, was to be kind of a, in a pinch, replacement filter for a gas mask. Wow. Huh. So, Kleenex. Okay, I'm going to go a little bit further back uh, to World War One. But actually, I was World here. War One. Oh, that was World War One. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm World sorry, War One, not World War Two. Okay, uh, I'm gonna go just a just a touch back. So we touch all back. know that the number one way for you to tell time right now is by pulling out your phone, just tapping the screen, see what it is. Right? I look at the sun, but I'm kind of a badass like well, that. Yeah, sure you are. So anyway, let's go tomorrow, yeah. and I will not look at right. a clock, and we'll look at the sun, and I'll. Okay, well... Uh, I bet you I'm within... An hour? I'll give you 45 minutes. Oh, damn. Oh, okay. Challenge accepted. <laughs> I'll buy um, you a beer. So, of course, yeah. I mean, yeah. Sundials were, I guess, the first way of telling time. Or, I guess, actually just looking at the sun, I guess, was the first way of telling time. Then sundials, hourglasses, uh, whatever. But then pocket watches became such a huge thing for such a long, long time. And still, I think, man... A pocket watch is one of the coolest, sexiest things you can have. Like, I, I have a, only, like, one outfit I could possibly wear where a pocket watch would look decent on me. But, man, I've always thought, ah, it'd be really nice to have just a really cool pocket watch. That's why you have the fifth pocket in your jeans. It was originally created to carry pocket watches. Yes. Yes. So, Did I just ruin some of your research? No, no, no. No, actually, that <laughs> falls right in line with a lot of the stuff I'm talking about. But, I think so, Levi's was the first one to like really make it awesome, where it just carried it, conductors. Everybody carried a pocket watch. And you had that fifth mm-hmm. pocket that everybody uses for God knows what now, probably hiding shit. Uh, was created for a pocket watch. Sorry to interrupt. Proceed. No, but so pocket watches had this huge run for such a long time. Well, right around 1900, right when that was starting. They, they first started the wristwatch, but it was viewed as like a very feminine thing. And New York Times actually called it a silly ass fad. <gasps> Literally. Oh my gosh, how risque. The use of such language at the turn of the century. <laughs> so, everyone's like, oh, a wristwatch, no. Especially like, I'm a man, I'm never going to wear that. Well, I have a guess. Right around 1900, one of the greatest aviators of all time, Alberto Santos Dumont, wanted to be able to use both hands while he's flying, mm-hmm. but still be able to see the time. So, his friend, Luis Cartier, created <gasps> Cartier, the Cartier-Santos line of watches. That is still a line that is still going on today, uh, for any people that really... I guess watch connoisseurs, uh, enthusiasts, watch enthusiasts, um, would, would, will definitely know this. And anybody that, anybody that saw it would, would know it, that, that classic rectangle kind of curve, mm-hmm. you know, thing. Um, so anyway, he created watch. that in 1904, 10 years later, world war one, world started. war one Rolex. So we're sitting here now and you have all the men in world war one, Going into battle. Need to use both hands and, and tell like, time. I've got to use both hands. I've got to tell time because now we're... That's you know, how they would orchestrate attacks. Yeah. Yeah. We're... Chore- uh, we're uh, coordinating? Coordinating. Sorry. 
uh, these different attacks and everything. So I've got to be able to do it and just look down really quick and see where we're at and everything. So the wristwatch became a big thing for them oh. to wear during the war. All of a sudden, and to they, flip it on your head, it ain't so feminine anymore yeah, when it's being exactly, used in yeah. war. Buddy boy. Take, take that, New York Times. <laughs> Silly-ass paper. Then, World War War ends, and everybody starts looking at it going like, oh, well, they were wearing that in the war. That must have been a necessity. That has to be a man's thing. So guess what? <laughs> Same thing with tidy whities All the tabloids and all the <laughs> newspapers and marketing and stuff like that, they just blew it up like, this is the... Every man needs to have this. Suddenly, when the boys from the front bring back the style, it ain't so silly ass, is it? Yeah, it's like, oh, you have to have this. How could you possibly be a man if you don't have a wristwatch? And I wasn't joking. I think that's the same thing that happened with Tidy Whities. I think you're right. Then, yeah. Yeah, they they all wore them in the war, and then everybody brought it home, and it was like, (laughs) look at this. Such support. (laughs) I can run from side to side with no problem. So, that's how the wristwatch actually came into mm-hmm. its prominence. Of course, like I said, yeah, yeah now, of course, it's, it's faded into obscurity. But still, I, I own a couple of them. Oh, um, I love wristwatches. They look, they, it's a great accent piece to anything you're wearing. I, I agree. And uh, I'm, I'm a little different because I'm, I'm naturally left-handed. Yeah. But... I learned how to do everything right-handed, so they I'm kind of weird. made you learn right-handed. So, I wear my watch. Back in the brutal late 80s. Yeah, yeah early the 90s. Brutal, yeah, yeah, it was so <laughs> terrible. At Before that, they understood children. At, at that point, they were having wristwatches that were the size of dinner plates. You're going to be a righty. <laughs> yeah, so anyway. Yeah. So, mine's but, a little awkward, but... On that note, you know, Rolex was the one that uh, pioneered the water-resistant watch. And actually had somebody like swim. I I hate going into it a little bit because I didn't do research on this. It was just something I'd kind of seen before and read on articles. But yeah, like I got somebody to swim the English Channel and uh, caught so much shit because he was German. Hmm. He was a German watchmaker, but just made Mm -hmm. superior watches. Well, that's all great until you get to like the 1930s. Mm, And then, you know, bigotry and hatred for anybody. Yep. You know, it's, it's from... Germany, Asia, things like that. Despite, he was like, I've been living in, I want to say London. He was living in Europe. And he's like, I've been here my, you know, most of my adult life. Yeah. And it was already famous at the time for making (laughs) superior watches. It just, the time was kept so precisely. Mm -hmm. And uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, then I can't remember who they got to swim the English Channel. And when they brought the watch out, it was running perfect time. And it was like, holy, like, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. This watch is unbeatable. Mm -hmm. It's indestructible. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, if you ever get a chance to read that, those articles on how Rolex came up, it's pretty darn interesting. And he went through a lot of adversity. Hmm. Because he was German. Well, because he was German, but he was just an apprentice and kind of learned how things worked and was able, I'm going to make it smaller, but I'm going to make it more precise. So if you ever get a chance to read uh, about Rolex, it's, it's a really good read. Oh, okay, cool. We had, okay, we've, we've talked a couple of things that obviously during some of the, you know, world wars have changed things, have affected things, whatever. Now, what if I were to tell you, you know, your fuzzy dice that people hang <laughs> From the rear view, rear view mirrors? Yes. What if I told you that got started in World War II? Fuzzy dice. Hmm? The end-all be-all of El Camino accessories. Yep. World War II. Hmm? Do tell, sir. I'm all ears. So, 
This one was fun. I like this one. <laughs> so I'm going to grab a beer while you explain to me. All right. So in World War II, if there's anybody out there that doesn't already know this, um, like one of the most deadly wars ever, um, there was so... Did you have to say it? Well, I mean, I mean, seriously, it was so bad, especially... For all you kiddos out there, World War II was pretty horrific. Especially for pilots. Like, I think there was something about like 170 planes a day shot down. Man. Um, so, yeah, if you're the pilot or anybody inside of one of these planes, you're going out uh, every every mission. We're still in the infancy of aviation, too, at the time. Yeah. Like, I mean, <laughs> we're talking like it's it's bad. This is one of the most risky things you can possibly do. It's just bad. Very A couple bad. of decades removed from the Wright brothers. So, of course, all the pilots were looking for any anything they could do to change their luck help things out, do whatever. So what they started doing was they would take playing dice and they would put it like on the console, basically, uh, you know, above all their mechanical, you know, stuff. Kind of like how you see with the pictures of the girlfriend back home. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, Something mm-hmm. to fight for. It's like, that's my luck. And they would put it on the instrument panel with the seven showing. Oh. Okay. For good luck. Well... Symbolism. Yeah. You know, <laughs> hey, put it in there good for luck. Because, I mean, hey, like, I'm. You need chance. all the help you can get. Yeah. <laughs> I'm probably not making a bag. Give, it, give me every chance I can. Right? Anything to get that mental edge. Yeah, exactly. So, after the war was over, uh, all the soldiers returned. Well, uh, in America, we're looking at, like a, like, a huge portion of one of the best times in economics. That we had had. All the women that were home went to the workforce. And they were kicking ass. And they were doing so great. And they took care of all the stuff. And we were in wartime. So all the factories were going and going and going. Mm-hmm. And everything was amazing. So then all the soldiers came home. And they were still pretty young. But had more money than any young people ever had. And their wives had made money. Business is good. And so, like, we're, like, looking at this going, Money is good. Oh, my gosh, we're doing really great. So now I can actually a chicken in every pot and a do car some, in every garage. Yeah, and I can I can go make, you know, uh, spend money on things because I have this and do whatever. So that's when we started getting into the golden age of hot rotting. Mm-hmm. Because not only did everybody have a little bit of extra change in their pocket, but you had... All these individuals, men and women, that had learned to be mechanics and drivers. Yeah. And then you had, say, like the pilots and some some of the other soldiers, some of the uh, soldiers and stuff like that, that they were so used to, hey, I'm going out today, I'm probably going to die, and they'd come back. And so now they're like, dude, I got... Adrenaline like junkies. Yeah, so I seriously have like this daredevil mentality yeah. now. And some of the coolest cars to ever roll off the line were coming out, and you could and chop them like, up and make them... Dude, what you... let's, let's just soup oh, it up. Let's see how fast. Let's see how fast. Like, like, came like, right let's after World War just II. make this as hardcore as we possibly can. We have the know-how, we got the money, and we got the people that are willing to risk it. They were doing the same shit with motorcycles, like cafe racers and stuff oh, at the yeah. time. Just yeah. making them streamline, chopping oh, them down, yeah. making them as oh, fast yeah. as they could. So. Oh, that makes total sense. That they makes would there. total sense. And it wasn't just pilots that were the ones that went into the racing, as far as the actual drivers. But a lot of them 
that's what they did because they're just like I said, adrenaline junkies. You mm-hmm. know, going for it. I'm never going to get to fly a plane again unless I go work for an airline, and I'm not going to get to go zoom zoom fast. So guess what? We're going to bring in some of our traditions that saved us during the war. And we're going like. to take these dice, and we're going to hang them mm-hmm. above the rear view mirror, and go for it. As our symbol of, hey, I'm risking it every time. And I mean, yeah, I mean, you look mm-hmm. back at there's a lot of uh, during the hot rod times, like, yeah, there was a lot of wrecks, there was a lot of so, crazy, a lot, a lot of bad things that happened too. But still, like, they were like, hey, this was kind of that symbol. The of, beginning of street racing. Mm-hmm, like, eh, I'm willing to risk it. Let's go. Roll the dice type of thing. Now, that all lines up, dude. I would have never just thought that that's where street racing and and I'm gonna custom say this cars would have came from right now that all been I, coming back i did my research on this one and by god i hope this is all like <laughs> seriously seriously true because it all sounds so good and it just meshes up so well so it can't not be right now correct there, you know I mean, there are people on. out there that are historians in this kind of thing you know you're just touching on what you could learn in a session of yeah yeah i mean reading it sounds so good so hopefully a couple of nights so anyway now here's where it kind of kind of i guess fades off or depending on how you look at it um supposedly the dice hanging from the mirror depending on where you're at in the country what you were doing what your vehicle was doing as far as like okay if you're racing on on like a tarmac, if you're racing on streets, if you're doing whatever, um, after a while, the plastic of the dice would start to melt. Okay. So they started looking into other things that we could put that wouldn't melt. <laughs> so after they went through a bunch of stuff, boop, 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 poof, fuzzy, fuzzy dice, teddy bear dice. Now it's kind of, I mean, Hey, my first vehicle when I was, 16 years old and i got my first car that's the first thing i thought about was putting some fuzzy dice up there and that was what 2002 yeah. <laughs> something like that i was still thinking it maybe it's not um what some people would say as masculine as what that story goes into or whatever but still it's it's so iconic okay so this week you know uh that jamie fox movie the day shift dropped mm-hmm where he's a vampire hunter. Yeah. In his truck is fuzzy dice. And he slaps him every time he gets in the truck. Like, good luck. That's my good luck. Yeah. This week. Yeah. In 2022. The most popular movie on Netflix features fuzzy dice hey, there you go, man. on his truck. So, yeah, it hadn't died. Yeah. Yeah. So, there you go. So, yeah, fuzzy dice came from World War II. Who would have thought? <laughs> it's crazy how much so... How, how much influence still comes from that the just early part of the 20th century? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, going, in, going into one of mine, for example. Sticking with that. Um, stop signs being octagons. So the first stop signs came out in about 1915. And they were just squares like every other sign. And black and white lettering. A white, black, white background with black lettering. That just said stop. Look like every other sign. Well, think about that time too. You have so much immigration from the late 1800s. Cars are brand new. A lot of people couldn't even read in English to know what the hell that sign meant. 
not a big problem when you've only got a couple of cars in town. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. you you start fast forwarding into like the twenties when cars are everywhere now, and it became a real problem. So they decided to change it to an octagon because you could. It was the only sign that was an octagon, and you could tell from the front, from the back if you couldn't see the lettering, if you couldn't read what the lettering was, what it spelled, if you had poor eyesight, driving your car, and couldn't see what that what was spelled on the sign so they changed it to an octagon to kind of become a universal symbol of stop yeah it was just so recognizable like boom yeah there it is yeah to make it even more universally known the red stop sign we didn't get until 1954 really yeah so here we are uh coming back to you the age of hot rods and by that time they already had street lights not everywhere but there were street lights Mm -hmm. and red mean meant stop hmm. so it was decided to make that octagon red because everybody knew red meant stop hmm. so yeah it took a couple of couple of decades to get to where it's at started terribly yeah but yeah the reasoning why you have red octagon stop has all those factors in play hmm. people couldn't understand what the english word meant for stop <laughs> it looked like every other sign so you'd ignore it <laughs> you know yeah yeah and yeah. So, yeah cool transitions to today so that's where we get red octagon stop signs nice well um nice okay so i had one that this this it, it's dumb if anybody thinks about it they go oh yeah that totally makes sense but to me whenever i was kind of looking in some of the stuff i was like it's Why? new to me man like like no i was like I, it was one that i looked up because i was like I want to know why why is this movie trailers because you think about it promotion well i mean you think about it uh when i go to the movies my thing is dude i need to get my drink my popcorn and my pickle <laughs> or uh, whatever snack i'm gonna have i see what you're saying and, most people would ignore the trailers yeah i need to get there because i want to see the trailers and i think a lot of people uh nowadays yeah. especially are that way we're like you know yeah i want to be there for the movie but I definitely want to be there early enough to check out all the trailers. I would think that would be more of a modern thing, so I could see how it would be a hard... I get where you're coming from. Like, when they first started showing trailers, people were probably like, what are you doing? I didn't come for that. I came for this. Well... Even though it's an advertisement, but... But then you start thinking about it. It's like, why is it called a movie trailer? Did they used to come after? So, yes, the movie trailers actually used to come after the movie played. Aha! So the movie would finish, and then they'd have one or two trailers afterwards. To show you what films were coming out. Coming out later. the movie theater. Now, the obvious problem is nobody stuck around. They watched the movie that they came and paid their money to go see, and they said... And then tried to beat the crowd getting out of the... Mm-hmm, bye, I'm out. Like, parking I lot. I don't care. So then they moved the trailers to the front of the movie. Because it was a movie trailer they moved at the front but it's the, the name still stuck oh okay my god i never thought about that it was called a trailer and it comes before the film <laughs> it's so yeah i mean it's silly it's it's so silly to think about like, they can make that. me believe they just mind screwed me into yeah never I'm like never questioning yeah you never thought about it but the, if you ever do authority think about of it for it. a second you're like well shouldn't that come after what's it called it's a, a trailer trailer yeah yeah so that's yeah, the whole 
your movie pre-shorts. Enjoy movie previews. Enjoy your movie previews. That's what it should be called. But yeah. anyway, the name stuck. And here we are. Blah. You know, jump forward all these years. And there's still, still called trailers. Yes. Yeah, and that's fun. So, anyway. I think it's time we do the thing. You want to do the thing? Let's do it. All right. It's time for Search Engine Results. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the part of the show where I guess Keith this time asked the all-powerful internet a question. Yes. He got the answer, but he's going to present me tonight with three answers, and I have to try to guess what Mr. Internet provided to Keith. Yes. Yes. Are we so correct I, in that way of thinking, bro? Yes. Um, All right, I'm, man. I'm interested. I'm in charge of the show this time, I guess. <laughs> anyway. So. The game. <clears throat> So, everybody has been to movies and seen, you know, the trailers for it. And you get that one voice that hits. That they are the in charge of the trailer. Movie trailer guy. And it's typically, yeah, movie trailer guy. And it's, in a time long ago when we needed a hero. Or something like that. You know, whatever. I'm terrible at it. I can't. In a world dead set on destruction. <laughs> hey. One man stands alone. Hey, you're not bad. Nothing but a Zippo lighter. Hey, yours sounds way better than mine does. In a pocket wow. full of fireball <clears throat> whiskey. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, anyway. So, here's the deal. A man by the name of Don LaFontaine. Love it. Okay? <laughs> Unfortunately, he is no longer with us. He passed away in 2008. But he was known for a long time of being the voice of all the previews that you'd ever heard of. Okay. That you listen to the preview. He's the guy that's doing the voice for whatever movie it is. Sean Connery and Nicolas Cage in The Rock. Yeah. That, yeah. 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 Exactly. So. Coming um, fall. Yeah. Coming this fall. This yeah. Fall. That kind of thing. So. La Fontaine. The question is, how many movies did he do the preview for? <laughs> oh, shit. Now, this is a little bit of a roundabout number, so I'll be a little easy Okay. Okay? But how many, how many movies did he do the trailer for? A, around a thousand. Okay. B, around three thousand. Or C, Around 5,000. Mm. Can I ask a question? And I don't know if you have this information. I will try to answer it. Um, can. At what age did he die? Um, I, I think he was in his 60s. Oh, really? 70s. 60s or 70s. Um, he was older, but not... Okay. Not, not, not like 80. Nah, he wasn't like like really old. He was... 67. Yeah. Okay. And he died in 2008. Mm hmm. So, probably at least a 20 to 30 year career. Yeah, like probably, I, said, I think it was in his uh, 60s, 70s, somewhere around that. Okay. And what was range. my ABCs? And he had a really nice mustache. Oh, absolutely. Sounds like he has a nice mustache. So, okay. A. A. Around 1,000. 1,000. B. 3,000. Hmm. Or C, 5,000. Now you're talking about... 135. He was the guy doing the promos. Doing the trailers. For all these movies. 
Mm-hmm. Probably some television, I would imagine. If well, he was we're, the voice we're actor just guy. Gonna, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll oh. give you another hint. Okay. This is just movies. Just movies. Just movies. Okay. Okay, just movies. Now, think about how many movies come out in a year. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm going to do the worst thing I could do. <laughs> but math safely. Ah, <laughs> dick. You suck at math. That's true. I could do good math. I'm smart. <laughs> okay, I got I'm going to say 3000. I'm going to go middle of the road. Okay. That's your final answer. Final answer. 3000 movie trailers. So somebody to do 3000 movie trailers. That would be amazing. <laughs> he did over 5,000 movie trailers. Lord. 5,000 of anything. It Imagine, gets better. Just say taco 5,000 times. It gets better. Just the word. So listen to this. He did over 5,000 movie trailers. Mm-mm. By the time that he passed away in 2008, he did hundreds of thousands of TV ads, network promotions, and video game trailers on top of the over 5,000 movie ads that he had done. So, it is theoretical that this individual probably talked to us over a million times to promote. He's probably one of the most heard human voices in history. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Exactly. Globally. What was his first name? His name was Don. Don LaFontaine. Yep. Yeah. So. Well. This individual. Cheers to Don LaFontaine. Probably the most heard human voice in history. Yep. You're absolutely right. And on top of that. The fact that this guy's voice got you hyped up. Yeah. For whatever you were going to go do and see. Like, he got you worked up. Going, Could you imagine if he gave you a stern talking to and you just felt like a oh comet no. was heading for you? Oh, no. Or a volcano was about to erupt? Well, let's see. He or the apocalypse away. was coming? He passed away in 2008, so... A stern talking to. At that time, I was a young man. 2008? And... You reasonably young. Well, I graduated in 2004. So I've been... Age is just another anyway, But anyway, like if, like, if he would have talked to me, I'd be like, yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> okay. okay. Sit down. We need to have a conversation. Like, oh, okay. Yes, sir. Oh, I just kind of sounded like Kevin Conroy. <laughs> hey, maybe you need to start looking into it. Hey. I don't know. My voice fluctuates so much. I don't think I could be consistent. <laughs> it's just not in me. Well, anyway, do you got anything else to finish up this episode? I do. All right. Okay. We're going to go back since the, the, the running theme tonight is early 1900s uh, in Rome. <laughs> we didn't mean to go like old school. It's just where all of our stuff, shit comes eh. from. Well, I got a couple other ones. Maybe we'll have to do a third. We'll have to do a third iteration. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Right. Why is the standard color of pencils yellow? <clears throat> now, of course, they come with printed things, different colors and designs and all that. But if I say to you, number two pencil. There's an image that comes into your mind. Yeah, a number two yellow pencil. pencil. You know, man, I really feel like there was something I heard about this, but I'm I'm just I'm I'm drawing a blank. Um, but I know there was a reason where they were like, no, whatever it is, they are going to be yellow 
pencils. Like, it, they, like mm-hmm. a number two pencil, the number one pencil in the world. Which is called the number two. It's hilarious. It's funny. Like, yeah, where's the number one pencil? But anyway, <laughs> like, the number one pencil in the world is going to be this. Yep. Man, I... Like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm drawing a blank. But yeah, I think okay. I know something about it. So, we'll step back to ancient Rome for a minute. <clears throat> yep. They used to write with thin sticks of lead called a stylist. Oh. Well, that came back. Yeah. Okay. Somebody was a history buff. Kind of yeah. Joke. So, that's cool <laughs> and all. You could have your lead stick that you could write with. Probably not the safest thing in the world to be handling lead rubbing against your skin all day long as a writer, right? Back then, I didn't know. Let's fast forward. The graphite pencil had been around, or they'd been using graphite to write since about like 1500s, 1600s. But where it really came into its own was in the late 1890s when they started mass producing graphite pencils Mm -hmm. for global use. So the yellow pencil was a marketing tool. And it was used because the highest quality graphite came from China. Mm -hmm. So the company that was producing, or companies that did produce, the graphite pencils from China wanted you to know that you were using quality, the highest quality of graphite. Gold, or yellow, was the color of Chinese royalty. Yeah. So they put into demand that all of their pencils would be yellow, the same standard of Chinese royalty. You knew these came from Chinese graphite. Mm-hmm. This was a quality product. Man. And it stuck since oh. 1890. You know, I don't know if anybody actually recognizes it that way. But, dude, it, it hit. It stuck. Everybody knows it. You Think about how much technology oh. we use today. Everything, mm-hmm. iPads, writing on, everything's a tablet, right? Mm-hmm. Still, when you see somebody writing with a pencil, you see mechanical pencils. But I still see almost daily someone using a yellow number is, two pencil. Not one right there on Sit, the counter. Right there. Yeah. Right there. I have a drawer full of them. Mm-hmm. I okay. So I want to pose. Well, a even challenge. like a carpenter's pencil. I want to pose a challenge to me and you. Okay. That, uh, we're going to find out uh, where the number one pencil is. What is the number one pencil? <laughs> oh, it's got to be like remember. Eh, remember when? Uh, remember I had when? the. Uh, Oh, you told me not Chalk to pencils more. and stuff like that when I was trying to be an artist. and <laughs> I figured out real quick that like depth perception is not my bag. I can't do shadows. F this. <laughs> Throw it across the room. But yeah, that's where you get the uh, yellow for pencils. Well, which, I mean, carries over to all the carpenter pencils. All those are yellow. Yeah. It's yeah. the standard color of a pencil. Okay. Now, we're going to come one forward more. into the future. One more, right? Nowadays, since we're stepping out of the past, Captain America, here will be the last one of the night. All right. Short, simple. Have you ever got a package from Amazon delivered to your house? Mm, Maybe you ordered... No, that was ever the rhetorical. <laughs> oh, shit. Okay. All right. <laughs> You're like, yes, Ass. I have. <laughs> Winner. Uh, say you ordered something like... Uh, Anything? One of these rubber rings. Anything from everything. Or a pocket knife. Or... No, no, no. Something small. Not anything. Something kind of on the smaller side. Oh, okay. I can think, what is this? One of the Quelo rings? You're getting specific. Okay. All right. Think something smaller. A pen. Uh, some kind of a kitchen utensil. Yeah. And on your porch is sitting this giant box. 
and you start tearing into it, I don't know what this is. What did I get? Oh, it's that thing I ordered. It's a multi-tool that's four inches by an inch and a half, you know? Like, why would they put in this giant box? Okay. I've had that question multiple times when we'll get a package, and I'm like, why is it yeah. in this giant yeah. box yeah. when it's definitely. The, the size of a credit card? Yeah, definitely uh, got some things that yeah. I, I open the box, and I'm going, this is, box is definitely not the shape of what the object is. You order so. a flash drive, and it comes in a shoebox. Yeah. All right. All right. I hear what you're saying. Yeah. All right. I wondered about that. Looked it up. There's a reason. Okay. There's a shipping algorithm that is set for the size of the boxes and the size of the vehicles. What they mm-hmm. don't want is things sliding around. Okay. So all these boxes have to be of a certain size so they fit together so you don't have big boxes being delivered with a bunch of little boxes that can just tumble all over the truck. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. That's about as in-depth as it is, man. I wish I had more for you, but yeah, it's all well, it's all a shipping. Shipping and receiving. You know, so that all the boxes fit together, kind of Tetris style... And stuff isn't flying all over the place. Hey, you know... Because the cost of making a bigger box outweighs broken product. Hey, yeah. I, I, I was about to say, uh, I haven't always been happy or impressed <laughs> with uh, a lot of... Lot of I thought it would I've be gotten. funny if the audio cut out right there. I haven't always been happy. Good night, folks. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I really haven't been always happy or impressed... With the packaging, but uh, I guess... It makes sense. Makes sense. You order a watch, you don't want it in this tiny box that's going to be flung from here to yonder yeah. all okay. over the back yeah. of an 18-wheeler or a van. We've all seen that whole uh, skit of handle with care, and somebody just is like... Start a Ace Ventura when he's just kicking that box from UPS mm-hmm. down the street mm-hmm. and yeah. smashing it. Yeah. So... Oh. Well, yeah. you know so that's the reason behind, if you've ever wondered why you got a big box for a small product, that's it. It's so that it fits nice and snugly with the rest of the boxes. Snugly. Well, mm. <laughs> it's being shipped. All right, then. And I think that's the episode, sir. Well, all right, yeah. we got to be sitting in about an hour. Yeah, I think that's a, probably a good time going to call it quits on that. Yes. Uh, we got some stuff left over, so we might end up doing another episode on this same thing here in the future. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, if y'all are interested, leave a review. Let us know what you think. You want us mm-hmm. to keep going with these topics? Mm-hmm. This is pretty fun. Thank you guys uh, for listening. Please uh, subscribe, like us, show some love. Yeah, we're happy to have y'all along for the trip. And I've had a great conversation with you tonight, bro. Yes, sir. As always. Yes, yes. And we'll catch y'all next time. I'm Kenny. I'm Keith. And don't use pepper as medicine. Mm